Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a gathering of people that want to know Jesus and love like Him. If you hear something today that you'd like to know more about, you should check out our other podcast, Rocky Unscripted, where we take a topic and through conversation and study, we go a little bit deeper. And right now, let's join today's message. Amen. Man, it's good to see all of you here at Niwot and all of you online, everybody at the Frederick campus joining us. Good to have everybody. And if you came back from Easter, uh, I want to say just welcome. It's, uh, it's good to see you if Easter was your first time and, and that. And I also say this, we're, we're diving into a series that I think we're going to have some fun with. So uh, it's called Christian Streaker. In the 1970s, uh, there was a phenomenon that started across America that you know to be called streaking. And uh, it, it's interesting, like some of you are actually old enough uh, to remember when this started. But in the 1970s, what started happening is like men and women alike started streaking like buck naked across college football fields, NFL fields, through college campuses. And even the Tonight Show and the Academy Awards had a streaker to blur across the screen. Like some of you remember when that started. Now, all of us have seen like a streaker truth. Now, interesting enough, did you know that CU, like University of Colorado, holds the world record for the largest amount of people streaking at one time? I don't think you'd expect anything different from CU. So, uh, interesting. But, so, I think for all of us, probably most of us, we've seen like in person or on SportsCenter, we've seen a streaker or two. And let me ask you this, like, what are you looking for when you see a streaker. You're looking for the takedown. Like, get your heads out of the gutter, people. It's all right. Like, you're looking for the takedown, right? Like, that's what we're looking for. You're, you're watching, you're like, I am just, okay, there they go, there they go. And what you're looking for is the linebacker that's gonna step off the sidelines and take somebody out. Or you're looking for the security guard, you know the one, like the one that's just waiting for a reason, right? He's just like waiting for a reason to take somebody out. So. Okay, so it's church, so we had the, you know, the PG version of streaking right there. It was all good, all good. I love that clip, though. Bobby Wagner steps out, hits that guy. We're all waiting for it. But it's not as good as this one, okay? This one is not actually a streaker. It's actually a Dodger fan, which I don't think is a whole lot better. But it's a Dodger fan. He jumps out of left field, okay? He jumps out of the left field stands. He goes out into left field, turns around, and he gets down on one knee to propose to his fiancée. Check it's out. good, right? Like what you're looking for is the takedown. And then, I mean, streaker runs across, you're looking for the linebacker, the security guard, somebody, because you know you're not even looking at him. You're like, who's going to take him out? Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we're going to be for the next six weeks. We're in this series called Christian Streaker. Let me read the passage. Maybe it'll make a little sense for us. Ephesians chapter 6, starting verse 10. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to take your, take your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith which is, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul writes that to the church in Ephesus. 
He's writing from Roman prison, and he's writing to Ephesus and saying, hey, here's the deal. We live in a world where there is a battle going on. He's not talking about a physical battle. He's talking about a spiritual battle that actually goes on behind the scenes. He says, you have an enemy that wants to take you out. And so what Paul says, it says, God did not leave you naked. He left you with armor, and there's this imagery, and we'll get into that in just a second, but there's this imagery that he gives everything from a helmet of salvation to the breastplate of righteousness, to the belt of truth, to shoes that are fitted with, with peace, to the sword of the Spirit. He goes through the whole thing. He's like, you're to armor up. And what most Christians do, what Paul was saying is what most of us do is most Christians put the helmet of salvation on, meaning they place their faith in Jesus, and then they just go streaking through life without anything else on to fight the battle. And there's a real reality to that. Christian Streaker, we dive into the series because we think it's really important. I think most of us don't actually recognize that beyond the events of this life, that there is actually a spiritual battle that is raging for our soul. You know this, I know this, without even actually saying it, you know that there's temptation, there's difficulty, there's suffering, there's something that seems to be against us and something that we seem to struggle in our heart and in our life to make the right decisions. We feel temptations, we, we feel pushed away from right things, toward wrong things. We know they are but we're pulled toward them. And what Paul says is that's just the natural, that's the natural strategy of the enemy that we have, that he is battling against us and he wants to take us out. And the problem is, is that most Christians, we don't realize that and we're spiritual streakers. Meaning we put the helmet of salvation on, but then what we do is we streak through life without anything else on. Like we're weekend warriors, we come to church on Sunday, some of us aren't even weekend warriors. We're more like signed up for the reserves, right? We show up once a month. But we're weekend warriors, and we don't realize that there is a battle that rages actually for us to pull us away from God, to distance us from God, Monday through Friday through Saturday through Sunday through the whole week. And so what we're going to do in the next, like, five weeks is we're going to dive in. We'll do this week and five more weeks. We're going to dive into Ephesians 6. We're going to stay right there, and we're going to look at this idea of being a Christian streaker. We're gonna actually take the armor of God and we're gonna dive in and look at it and we're gonna say, the belt of truth, what does it mean? How do we put it on? Because here's the interesting thing about each one of these pieces of armor that God gives us, figurative pieces of armor, is that they can be used in the right way and they can be used in the wrong way. They can be used for God and they can actually be used against God. And so we're gonna dive in next week. Matt's gonna take the belt of truth and he's just gonna unpack that. What does it mean and how do we wear it well? And then we'll go to the breastplate of righteousness and we'll just keep going on. But today, here's what we're gonna do. There's no need to wear armor unless you realize that you're actually in a battle. And in a battle, there's actually an enemy that we have to fight against. And so today, what we're gonna actually look at is we're gonna look at the real reason why there are so many Christian streakers in this world. You ready for it? The reason is, is because we don't believe that we actually have an enemy. We don't live life actually believing that there's something out there that is actually warring and battling against us. If you go back to Ephesians, 10, start, Ephesians 6, starting verse 10, it, it says this. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Let's stop there for just a second. I don't know about you, but when I read through that, I remember my dad's a pastor, and um, he was my pastor as a kid, and I remember he would, he would be very visual with things. 
He always had like props that he would bring up. And, and I remember on Easter, he would bring up like these huge nails. Like they actually gotten over in Israel at like some shop or something. He would bring them, he would use them to talk about how they nailed the, the you know, the spikes through Jesus' wrist and through his ankles. And then he had this massive old like uh, crown of thorns. That he, I don't know why he would put it, but he would sit on his like shelf. And, and I remember actually a few times people actually like sitting down, sitting down, hitting, hitting the crown of thorns. But he would stand up there and he would preach with this stuff. He would get to Ephesians 6 and he'd pull out a sword. And he'd pull out a breastplate and he'd just talk about all this. And, get, and I always thought it was like a little cheesy. I was like, you know, just a little cheesy. I was like, wow, that's... If you understand the context of where Paul's writing from, it's not cheesy at all. Like, think about this. These aren't just props that Paul's talking about. Paul is writing from a prison in AD 62. He's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, one of his most beloved churches. He'd been there. He'd started. He'd given it over to Timothy. Timothy was there. He's writing a letter to say, here's how we live. And he's sitting there in this cell, and he's trying to just kind of explain that we live in a battle. Not in a physical realm, but in a spiritual realm. There is an enemy that is after our soul, and you have to be able to defend yourself. And he's looking around. He's a preacher. He's a pastor. He's trying to find illustrations. He's like, there it is. Roman soldier right there. And he just begins to write about the different portions of Scripture that God has given us, of the Holy Spirit that God has given us, of each other that God has given us, things that we have that we can battle against Satan to be able to win a war. And so the picture is not cheesy. The picture was real life at the time. Every Jewish person looked around and that's all they saw were Roman soldiers everywhere because they were subject to Rome. Roman soldiers were walking back and forth. When Paul was chained in a jail cell, he was chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. It was the picture of strength and domination. Let's read it again. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against whose schemes? See, we don't even like to say it, do we? You don't like to say devil. You don't like to say Satan. It, it just feels weird. Some of you are here for the first time. It's like, man, is, this is a weird church. They handle snakes and do all No, but we do talk about real things. What does it say? The devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, the reason we have so many spiritual streakers, helmet of salvation and nothing else, is because we actually don't believe that there's an enemy. We actually don't just acknowledge the reality that there is an enemy that is stalking us and is after our souls. I have a good friend, he has a quote that he uses all the time, and I think it gives a little bit of a, a rational explanation that there is evil and where that evil comes from. It says this, it says, without evil in your worldview, you have no answer. Think about that for a second. Without evil in your worldview, your world you have no answer for suffering, you have no answer for pain, you have no answer for temptation, you have no answer for sin, you have no answer for all of those things. But then it says, without God in your worldview, you have no hope. So without evil in your world, you gotta have a, an answer. You have to have a reason. You have to have a logical explanation for where does sin come from? Where does temptation come from? Where does evil and suffering come from? We have a whole lot of explanation about God. We have an intelligent creator. We look at creation. 
We look at so many other different evidences and we say there is a God. You look at evil, there has to be an origin. And scripture goes into it just explicitly and says that Satan is the one that showed up, that tempted people and brought sin into our world. So here's what I want to do. I want to take just a few minutes and I want us just to look at what scripture says, what the biblical writers who walked with Jesus, I want to just take a look at what they say about our enemy. Because if we're going to actually be ready for a battle, we have to actually acknowledge that there is an enemy that is against God and is against us. So what does the Bible say about the devil or about Satan? It says it has many names. Satan is one of them. And each of those names actually describe who he is and what he does. So the name Satan means adversary. He is the enemy. He is an adversary against God and therefore against us. He's called the tempter. We see him show up on the scene in Genesis chapter 3, and he tempts Adam and Eve, and then sin comes into our world. He's called the liar, and specifically, Jesus calls him the father of lies. It's one of his strategies. What he does is he lies to us. He says, it's not going to hurt. Nobody's going to know. Like, uh, like, you get away with that. Or actually, that's not harmful. And we participate, and what happens? We find out all those things are lies. He's called the liar, the father of lies. He's called an accuser. He accuses us. In scripture, he's actually compared to some things that give some pictures of what he's like. So Peter actually writes, and he writes and calls him a lion. Says he is comparable to a lion. Talks about how he roars after a kill. Lion roars after the kill. Same thing with the devil. He's after us, and then he roars. It it talks in Genesis chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 12. It describes him as a serpent. Also in, in Paul's writings in 2 Corinthians, he calls him the angel of light. It says he masquerades as an angel of light or beauty. Like when you think about that sometimes with temptation, you look at them and they look good. They look satisfying. They look helpful. The devil masquerades as things that are beautiful or satisfying. And then we participate and we realize that they are not. Where does he come from? Scripture talks about how um, in Isaiah Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 through 15, it describes him as Lucifer. Uh, The name means son of the morning in Hebrew. That passage goes on to basically explain, and other places in Scripture talks about how in Revelation that Satan or Lucifer, the son of the morning, was the angel of light. So understand he's actually a created being. He was an angel in charge of the worship in heaven. And basically it became prideful and even in... In Isaiah chapter 14, it just describes his thought process of wanting to sit above God on the throne, wanting to sit above certain places in heaven and be in control to basically be God. So it says there was a great battle in heaven, and it says that Michael and the archangels fought against, and one-third of all of heaven's angels went with Satan because of their pride and were cast down to earth. And so they are here, so basically... The devil and his angels, their goal is the destruction of God and the destruction of his creation. Genesis 3 is the first time he's mentioned. You may realize this, or maybe you haven't realized this in in some of the prophecy that is in here, but we all know that he's mentioned and compared to a serpent, that the serpent came and he tempted Adam and Eve and and they took of the fruit and they ate of the uh, the tree of knowledge and good and evil and they began to understand right and wrong. Sin entered into the world, and God placed a curse. He said the result of sin is death. Put a curse on the man. He put a curse on the woman. 
But in Genesis 3, he puts a curse with a prophecy on Satan. Starting verse 14, it says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And here it is. Between your offspring and hers, he, meaning Jesus, will crush your head, meaning Satan, and you will strike his heel. Think about that thought for a second. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. At the cross, uh, when Jesus was arrested and he was crucified, Satan definitely struck Jesus' heel. Like it was a blow that was struck. And Satan in that moment, you know, he thought, man, we've got it all covered here. We took him out. It is done. But the prophecy was that he will crush your head at the resurrection when Jesus came back was the fulfillment of that prophecy that all of a sudden Satan's power of death and sin was defeated. And so there is a picture like there is a picture of, of Satan who is one who prowls around like a roaring lion, it says, seeking for someone to devour. He is after us. But there is also a prophecy where God says, God says that he will be defeated at, at one time. Now, there's all kinds of mysterious stuff. Some of you are sitting here saying, man, what did I come to church for this morning? There's all kinds of mystery around Satan, but there is no mystery at what he's trying to accomplish. Scripture is very clear. 1 Peter 5, verse 8, stay alert, watch out, your, your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You go back to that Christian streaker idea, there's a whole lot of us that put our helmet of salvation on, and then we're just running around through life thinking life is all good, wondering why we keep getting taken out. I don't think we actually think about the idea that there is an adversary on the other side that is looking for a way to trip us up and to take us out. Now, interesting enough, understand Satan is a created being. We said that earlier. He's a created being. So his, he is limited in knowledge and in activity. Unlike God, Satan is not all-knowing, he's not all-powerful, and he's not all-present everywhere. So the question becomes, like, how does he get so much done? Like, how does he know how to tempt you where you are and how to tempt you where you are? And how does he get so many evil things that happen all over our world that we see? How does he accomplish that? Because he has help. As Scripture says, I already shared that it says that when, when heaven was divided, one-third of the angels in heaven, because of pride, went with Satan and were cast down to the earth. And so we would probably call them demons. Most of us would say Satan's helpers would be demons, but understand they're actually created beings. They're fallen angels. Like they know who Jesus is. You look in scripture and they would acknowledge Jesus. They believe in God. The book of James says that they believe and they shudder at God's name. But when you look at them, what they are doing, what their goal is, is destruction. You think about them, they cannot read our minds, right? They aren't inside our minds, but they're shrewd and they know us well. Like their ability to actually analyze, to watch us, to learn what trips us up, they know. You wonder where temptation comes from and how that temptation keeps being put before you? 
It's because they understand what your weakness is, what your weakness is, and what my weakness is. The book of James chapter 1 says this, verse 13, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God does not tempt anyone. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Here's an interesting word in that passage. When the words tempted comes up or dragged away, it's actually the word lured. So if you're a fisherman, you actually get this. I, I just went fishing with my dad in, in Florida. We went down for a couple days and we fished some in the Everglades. And then we went out into the ocean under the bridges and we were fishing for tarpon and grouper and some other things. And in each location, we used different kinds of bait or lures. So that, that word is actually the idea, it's a fishing term, it's like a lure luring a fish in. So what do you do with fish? Sometimes when we're fishing, the guy would say, this would be a perfect place to cast a fly. So he'd take out a fly and here's what he'd do. He'd get his fly rod and he'd cast that fly right out there. Sometimes we see a fish roll and he'd place that fly right in front of that fish. And that fish looks at that fly and the fly is not real, but it looks real and it looks enticing and it looks satisfying to that fish. And then there were times when we went into some other areas in the Everglades and, and we pulled out big old spinner. Like, like big old, I mean, it looked like a big old fish with these big old spinners on it. And I cast that puppy out there and there was one particular cast I chucked out there and I'm reeling that thing in. And it was like, got it? We pulled in a barracuda that was that big. And to that barracuda, that lure looked really real and it looked really good. And we brought him in and, and it hurt that thing, right? Now, he was a barracuda, so we cut him loose and we got rid of him, right? But some of those other fish we kept, and man, it was a good meal. <laughs> and here's the thing, that same idea is exactly the idea with temptation. The devil knows us, his angels knows us, his helpers, and they, they know exactly what tempts you. And what tempts you is different than what tempts you. And what tempts you is different than what tempts me, but they know exactly what gets all of us and the trap is set. It's like casting that baby out, didn't work. Cast it out again, didn't work. Cast it out again, got him. It's different for all of us. When I was a kid, when I was really young, man, I, really young, it's interesting how Satan just works and he plays a long game. When I was really young, we're talking like first, second grade, I had a guy that lived behind me, his name was Alan, just a little kid, and we were buddies. And I remember coming over one day, we went up in the top of the shed, top of our shed at our house, had this, we call it the tree house, but it was just this open area that my dad was like, yeah, you guys play up there. And, and he gets over there and we're hanging out and he pulls out a magazine. And a magazine, you know exactly what it was. And at first and second grade, you're going, oh, yuck, nasty, right? You're ripping up the paper and whatever, but you're curious. And then in middle school, I remember I had a couple other situations. One buddy down the street named Scott, and his dad had all kinds of calendars. You can't imagine all kinds of calendars all over his workspace in his garage. Middle school, you're pretty, you're pretty curious. You say, hey, Mom, head down to Scott's house, right? Then high school, other opportunities, other things. And Satan just placing those things in front of you. Pled, just casting that thing. And guys were very visual. So just casting that opportunity for lust just right out there and and I remember in my early 20s, my wife, she'd gone away on a trip. I've told this story before. 
She went away on a trip. I got an email. It was one of those phishing emails. And I just, uh, I clicked on it. And it took me somewhere. That I didn't realize it was going to take me. But I didn't stop clicking. And I kept clicking. And I kept clicking. And I kept looking. And Satan was like, gotcha. And she was gone for two weeks. And it happened. And it happened. She came back. And I remember it was about two months later. I don't know why she asked. But we were um, in Oregon with my parents. And we were at this uh, beach house and hanging out and just vacation and seeing family. And, and uh, just sitting there. And she just looked at me one night. And she was like, hey, did anything happen while I was gone? And the look of my face gave it away before I said anything. And I just said, yeah. And guys, here's the deal. In that moment, you know, you know what Satan was able to take right there. That temptation he threw out there that says, looks good. Man, he got me. And in that moment, the warmth, the trust, the care that was there in that relationship, it took how many steps backward and took how long to rebuild. Guys, Satan knows exactly what gets us. John chapter 10, verse 10 Man, it is one of the help, most helpful and most scary verses in Scripture. Don, John 10.10 10 says this. It says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come to give you life and give you life to the full. After that situation, I remember my, my wife actually said, you're, you're going to sit down. You know, my dad was my pastor. He's my best friend. I, she said, you, you got to tell somebody. So I sat down with my dad, and we became accountability partners. I remember we were going through this notebook, and, and uh this verse came up, and I read that verse, and I'm telling you guys, that verse has helped me with so much since then. Because in life, every single one of us, we, we understand that there's temptation out there, but in the moments, we forget. And so that verse became the moment for me. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What is the devil's idea? What is his strategy? What does he want to do? He wants to throw temptation out in front of you so he can destroy not just the relationship you have with others, but the relationship you have with God. Like you look through the New Testament and anytime you see Satan mentioned or you see demons mentioned, it is destruction. Like that is all that they plan to bring. And so I look at that verse and I'm telling you, I quote that verse all the time. I look at, hey, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That temptation right there, what does it do? It just brings destruction. But I have come to give you life. The beautiful thing about that passage is you just, we go through all those scriptures, we look at who Satan is, we look at demonic, all that different stuff, and you talk about that, it's like, man, we don't want to talk about it. Like, we're scared to even mention that stuff. I had somebody said, hey, I heard you preaching on Satan today, good luck, I'm praying for protection <laughs> this morning. We feel awkward, we feel a little scared. Here's the reality of it, it is there, but the reality is also this. That God gives us hope. God gives us hope in Jesus Christ. He says, he says, but I have come to give you life and to give you that life to the full. Jesus is saying, I'm leaving naked. I left you with a helmet of salvation, a breastplate of righteousness, a belt of truth, a sword of the spirit, and so on and so on. They're figurative. But he's saying, I have left you with weapons that you can battle with. And you go all the way back to, to, to Genesis chapter 3. Very interesting. That prophecy says you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. I don't know how many of you have seen the passion of the Christ. Raise your hands if you've seen both campuses, if you've seen the passion of the Christ. There is a scene. It is my favorite scene in the whole movie. And it is, 
It is a difficult movie to watch. Man, the portrayal of the crucifixion, it's brutal. The beauty of the light coming out and the resurrection of like the, the battle is won, it's, it's amazing. But there's this one scene that's my favorite. It's in the garden. It, it goes all the way back to Genesis 3. That little picture of, of he will bruise your heel, but you will crush his head. Jesus is laying in the garden. He's actually on all fours. He's weeping. He's crying out to God. In this moment, it is the moment where it actually says in Scripture these sweat drops of blood. He's so, such an intense emotional moment. Like fear's there, all of that in Jesus. He knows what's coming in the cross, and he's in the garden of Gethsemane. He's got, he even prays, he's like, God, if there's any other way. And in the moment, in the, in the scene, there is a serpent that slithers out. You remember this. There's a serpent that slithers out and it comes by Jesus and Jesus has his head down and he is crying and he is weeping and he's calling out to God and the serpent comes and as he comes, he gets louder. You can hear the hissing and it gets louder and louder and Jesus' cries get louder and it's almost like in the moment that the temptation to quit is getting bigger and it's getting bigger and it's getting bigger in Jesus. Snake even slithers around his arm and he goes away and he comes back and Jesus is crying out and all of a sudden Jesus looks up. And he stands up. And in the distance, you can see Judas and you can see the, the torches and the people coming to portray him. And Jesus looks at it and it's like resolute. The decision is made. He is off to, to what he is going to do. And he takes a step, boom. And his heel comes right down on top of that serpent. I tell you, I felt like I was watching like Rocky Three and Clubber Glenn getting knocked out. It was like the, it's amazing. It was the fulfillment of that prophecy. Now the fulfillment has to, happens at the death and the resurrection, but Mel Gibson put this moment just to say, he will crush his head. And guys, the reality is this, that there is an adversary out there. He knows you and he knows you well. He knows what your weaknesses are and he is trying to just lure you in so he can just take you out just blindside you and take you out. And here's what Jesus says. He says, man, I, I won the overall battle. Like your salvation is not in question, but man, your joy and your peace and your relationships in this life, all of that is in question. Guys, there's so much at stake. Like what Satan is doing, he's just, he's just putting lures out there. He's just casting things out. What he's trying to do is he's trying to take out your family, husbands and wives. He wants to take away your intimacy. He wants to take away your relationship with your kids. Leaders, he wants to take away your integrity. He wants to take you out, take away your reputation. Students, I don't care what age you are, he wants to take away your innocence. He wants to take away your self-image, your confidence. He wants to take away your calling that he has on your life. There is so much at stake, but God says, Jesus says, but there's hope. Because here's the deal, someone once said this, he says, we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. As Christians, we don't, we don't fight for victory, like the battle's already been won. We fight from the victory of the cross and the resurrection. And here's the deal, the reason why Satan ends up having so much power in so many of our lives is because we don't recognize he's there. Like you go over to India, it's interesting. You go over to India, you go over to Africa, you go over to, to China, you go over to different places where they see so, they, the, the spiritual realm is so much more visible for them. They talk about it so much. There's so much mystery and, and legend. 
and you actually see. Like I've been to Africa and I've seen some things. My dad's been to India and he talks about some things and you're like, wow, that's like New Testament stuff. Here, we don't see that. Like the US, we we don't see that, why? Because Satan knows the best strategy for him is just to stay under the radar with us. Just put greed, just put lust, just put recognition, put all those temptations out in front of us, stay under the radar, we won't even acknowledge he's there and then wham, blindsides us. See what God said is there is an enemy but I have given you armor to fight against that enemy and it is time for you to suit up. And so I just wanna give you two things. I wanna give you two things as we end. First is this, Galatians chapter three says that as many of you have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have clothed yourself with Christ. The Bible is very clear. It says that we are saved by our faith. It says that when we put our faith in Jesus and, and we ask him to be the leader of our life and forgive our sins, he does. The Bible also says that every person who placed their faith in Jesus went to the waters of baptism because it is the picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection being applied to us. The Bible says when you place your faith in Jesus and you you give your life to God, it says His Holy Spirit comes into you. And the devil runs from that. He says, you are not inhabited by anything. You you are inhabited by the very spirit of God. He runs from the name of Jesus. He runs from God's spirit. If we will acknowledge that he's actually there within us and begin to live in a way where we say, no, I'm not going after that because I know that's destruction. And spirit, you got a better way for me. If you never made Jesus the Lord of your life, here's the deal. You need to make a decision to ask him by faith to be your savior and then get baptized. As many as have have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have clothed themselves with Christ and his resurrection power. Two weeks, we're having a baptism service. There's some of you have not made that profession of faith. There's some of you have not been baptized in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Man, you talk to our prayer team. You talk to one of our staff. You go online and you sign up. Let's do it on April 30th. Second is this. It's time to stop streaking. I had numerous people say to me out there, man, I've been that. And we've all been that sometimes, right? We just kind of forget what battle we're in and we're just kind of run through life and we're forgetting that there is a war raging for our soul and it's time we can have freedom. Like we can have freedom from temptation. We can have freedom from those difficult, is life gonna be perfect? No, but God says you can overcome. He says, take heart, I have overcome the world. You can be an overcomer, but you gotta suit up. You gotta suit up. You gotta be willing to take the armor that God's given us. It's figurative to us, but understand what Paul's saying. I have given you scripture. I have given you the Holy Spirit. Man, I have given you each other. I've given you the church. I have given you these things so that you can suit up and be ready for the battle, not just on Sunday. No weekend warriors here. No spiritual streakers here. But on Monday through Saturday through Sunday, Every day of the week, it is time to suit up. I want to challenge each and every single one of us to be back next week because Matt's just going to talk about the, he's going to talk about the belt of truth. We're going to dive in. He's going to explain what it is. He's going to talk about how we put it on, how we use it well. You just come with your Bibles. You come with your notepad. You be ready to just dive in deep and look at it and say, how do I fight this battle? Because there is a battle for our souls. But we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. If you suit up, you can have that victory. Let's pray. Father God, first of all, we just thank you for Jesus. 
We thank you for the battle he fought for us at the cross. We thank you that he went through, that he did not stop. And Father, we thank you that the power of Satan has been crushed under his feet. Father, we know also that Romans chapter 16, verse 9, says that the God, that you, God, will soon crush Satan under our feet. Like because we have the spirit of living God inside of us and because the battle's been won, man, we fight from victory and that changes everything. And so, Father God, I pray that those who need to accept you as their savior and get baptized, I pray they will do that on April 30th. Pray that'll be a huge day of celebration. And then, Father, I pray we will all get serious. We will be back here and we will be ready to suit up with the armor and get to work. God, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thanks for fighting the battle for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.